was watching Ben Chilwell pull his hamstring and then carried the tunnel and he was practically dead yeah actually when he had passed away like that, that word was used oh, it's, a, it's a tragedy subscribe now to the OTB football podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB sports app the news round on off the ball with Gilles. We don't just play the game, we change it. Gillette, made of what matters. This is News Talk. Now, hello there. So Saturday, I think it's fair to say, Lansdowne Road delivered on the pre-match hype. We have star-studded lineup: Jerry Thornley, Andy Dunn in studio together. Monday Night Rugby on the way after 8 o'clock. We have Pat Nevin on the weekend's football. Plus, it seems FSG has put Liverpool up for sale. The always brilliant Matt Slater will explain all this hour. He's going to join us just after the news round. 53106, the text number. We are at Off The Ball on Twitter. Michael McCarthy, hello to you. Hello, TV's Joe Malloy. And Richie McCormick, hello to you. Evening, gents. I don't know if you heard Richie's commentary yesterday on Manchester United Aston Villa, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> because no one else did. <laughs> Oh, there was a good 20 minutes there Joe to be fair sorry. We, got the, we got the United goal in so there, were, there were 20 minutes but we missed all of the Aston Villa goals that's the United way. goal that really told the story of the game Richie yeah Gremlins in <laughs> it the did system. yeah 100% well in in a way depending on what way you look at the match there is a tale to be told by those 20 <laughs> minutes now mm. I'm not one to go into it here uh, that's for other people to do uh, but regardless it was a fantastic first outing for Unai Emery uh, so I believe uh, in charge of uh, Aston Villa it sure was Andy Dunn making a welcome return to the Off the Ball studio. URC, he takes or leaves it. <laughs> Ireland beating the world champions, he'll come in for that. Jerry yeah, Thorny alongside yeah. him. That's on the way after 8 o'clock. We spoke to the lads already. It's a great piece, loads of great stuff in it. The uh, physicality of the game. Ooh, Joe. I mean, Tygburn looked like he'd gone 15 rounds as he walked off. I think uh, none of us are quite reveling with the same uh, carefree abandon in that physicality anymore when it comes to rugby but it was most certainly an aspect of the game Do you know that's very true actually yeah there's there is that element of like both teams are up for this and it's a hard hitting bastard of a game for one for a better word you know that that there, there's a feeling in that that's a very specific type of rugby that's never going to be high scoring or anything like that but the attrition is the spectacle Johnny Sexton called it a test match. It's a proper, proper <laughs> test match. Uh, I don't know why he became English there all of a sudden, but that, that expression certainly would be. Yeah. Or, or as uh, uh, Kieran Reid used to say after, uh, uh, after uh, in his post-match interviews, Hill of a Tismich. Hill of a test match. Hill of a uh, Both Kieran Reid and Josh van der Fleer are two men who smile at all times when they're talking, regardless of the content. Okay. Although Josh van der Fleer has a lot to smile about lately. Oh, yeah. What a player he is. Mm. Like, uh, do you know what, actually? This is going completely sideways. But what, like... Josh van der Fleer, I think I mentioned, I think I might have talked about this after in the summer after New Zealand, but Josh van der Fleer is the most incredible storyline of a player of the unexpected hero. I know that I think you'll ever get. Always respected, always a good player, always the guy who will do a job for you for Ireland. To I would say being in the top four or five most important players in that team now, in a team that's number one ranked in the world and. We're not getting into whether they'll win the World Cup or not, but realistic contenders yeah. for a World Cup. Players player of the season last year. Right. European oh. player of the year yeah. last season. Even chatting with Rob Kearney, we were on air obviously afterwards. And uh, oh, pre-game, we did an interview with Josh van der Fleer and we asked him if he had anticipated van der Fleer becoming what he is today, age 29. And even Kearney said, no, you couldn't really have foreseen yeah. this, particularly the physical aspect, the transformation uh, to that degree. Yeah. And it's uh, remarkable. And I mean, 
he got singled out pre-match as well in the press conferences. I think it was the right. press conference to Knee Neighbor. It's one of the Knee Neighbor press conferences um, last week. And Van der name was from a South African journalist who was put out there as being one of the players that they would have to curtail and curb and try and uh, look out for because he was one of the threats that at least the South Africans knew was coming mm. uh, on Saturday night. So his reputation is, is certainly not just uh, Leinster-based. It's uh, worldwide now at this stage yeah. and it will be more so, I guess, after Saturday. To go back to the attritional point, though, it, it, it's funny because, as I said, like that is a virtue of the game. It's something that you... It, it's a specific type of game that... I think is is incredible when rugby is at its best and two teams meet in that way that is well matched. But you're right, you're watching it in a completely different way. Every time there is a hit, you wait a second to almost to, for your brain to register what part of the body it was in before you allow yourself to enjoy it or to celebrate it. You know, there wasn't too many, nothing that I can really remember that was kind of like looked dangerous in a in a head specific way well, I thought that was maybe the, the Colby tackle but you well, know yeah that was probably should have been red I um, think but that was the that was the interesting thing it was so attritional there were so many injuries and yet there was no clear cut head hit and it made me think well maybe they're starting to get the hang of how rugby can be played in the most committed fashion without taking each other's heads off. Now, yeah. it's one game, small yeah. sample size. Ireland lost three or four players during the game, but again, none of them were of that sort of... Like, muscle injuries and yeah, they were old ankle. Colliding yeah. sort of injuries. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, if we can get to that point, if we can get to that point where you can trust players and coaches to coach these players to have these types of games that don't include clashes of heads or shoulders to the heads yeah. or, you know, shoulders onto the head or back of the neck in rooks. I think we could maybe get back to the point where a game like Saturday's is uh, something that we can enjoy and yeah. celebrate as an incredible test, yeah. as Johnny Sexton called it. No, you would hope so. Though the nagging voice at the back of your head on that front says, well, it, great to get rid of those high-profile, very glaring head hits. It's more the sub-concussive whiplash effects and what damage they do over 10 years so who knows sorry that's a well, that is just an aspect of watching these more gladiatorial uh, games now so Ireland to win the World Cup Richie that's generally what we're saying I think yeah I think it's it's nailed on now at this stage I don't think there's anything standing in our way to, to win a World Cup this is fait accompli and basically turning up in France in a year's time 11 months time is a, is a box ticking exercise but no it's only when you go back and you, you beat them and then you kind of figure that they're going to spend a year redoubling their efforts in a similar way to, and I know Rory pointed this out last night, but it certainly, or yesterday on the show, was certainly something to look out for, is that the New Zealand 15 on Friday night had figured out a way to stymie the Irish style of play. Hmm. And other teams will do that. And Ireland will find a way around it, and they'll dance around it, and they'll, they'll have tactics to counter it, and all that kind of stuff. But there is a year, and there's, you know, what, six more games, essentially, of, of high profile to come between now and then. Mm. Like, we're, we are in danger of, of of being found out. And that's just, that happens to any team. Um, and we've got an absolute dog of a draw as well. Like, yeah. when you have the Springboks in your group, you have a potential France or All, or all Blacks quarterfinal. That's, that's ugly. Like, that's really ugly uh, in terms of what's... Uh, in front of us, in a, um, it is. So in a, in a, in a I, I, way, with all that in mind, yeah. nothing will be taken for granted. By no, the group. it's true. And you saw the lack of celebration as well on on Saturday. This wasn't a case of we we finally got over the line. It's like okay, that's a win. Let's move on to Fiji, and that's pretty much what you want from the side. In a way, assuming Scotland don't beat the Springboks and Ireland beat Scotland, mm. the game against South Africa is almost irrelevant 
because you can't predict who's going to win between France and New Zealand next year. So you don't know who you're beating the South Africans that to play. That game will first, though, won't it? It's the opener, well, I think. So, but even, even so, we don't know what's <laughs> going to be awaiting us, be it yeah. France or New Zealand. You know, pick your poison. Uh, so that, like, it's so far away. I, I know we have to kind of worry about that and it's always going to be semi-final or bust, whereas actually it should be Ireland happened to have never got past the quarterfinal, but this is a tournament they should be winning or at least competing to win. Yeah. And it might just so happen that the, the final could be played in the quarterfinal. You know, like, the, you know, that is a possibility here. We have to get our heads around that. Yeah. Uh, we're on the wrong side of the draw. But I think, I think we have to stop looking at it negatively, you know, because there's no reason that Ireland can't evolve in the next 12 months. There's no reason that Ireland can't be learning lessons from these games the same way as South Africa and New Zealand will. We have to start trusting that this is an incredible group of professionals with a really good coaching team that won't be resting on their laurels for the next 12 months and hoping that Johnny Sexton doesn't get too old. Yeah. You know, they, what they did on Saturday was a new kind of win you know, Johnny Sexton said they might have had the guts to do it in the past, which I thought was an interesting line, but it could be just something that Johnny says straight after a game uh, when he's liable to kind of say anything in fairness. But what they did was, like, they answered what South Africa gave to them and found a way to win the game. If South Africa had a better kicker, if they had a better 10 on the day, yeah. would they have won the game? I'm not so sure because it felt to me like Ireland were answering the questions. Now, it could have been a highest scoring game. It could have been a slightly different style. But I just feel that there's something about this team that seems to know how to win close games. At the moment, And yeah. that's massive. And maybe it disappears in 12 months, maybe it doesn't, but we should enjoy it when it's happening now and take it as a positive rather than worrying about what's going to happen. Mm. And, I mean, there's a real chance of a Grand Slam. Doesn't it? We still care about that, don't we, I think? Hopefully. I would yeah, hope hopefully. so. I was I glad to so. hear that Sexton, when he said there's nothing won, included yeah. winning a championship and a Grand Slam as part of it, not just the World Cup or bust. England you know? and France coming to Dublin, yeah. Wales ship 55 against New Zealand. They're not in great shape at the moment. So, I mean, I would think in the short term, that's a real uh, Philip. Damien Willemse, God love him, he's a lot of good things, not a kicker. <laughs> no. He really isn't no, a kicker. That, that so was, that, that it was too a good difference. a game for a player I know. playing that. Uh, playing and I was going to say of that calibre that's not fair on him but I, I think of, of playing to that standard on the day mm. it was too good a game for a player like that it'll be remembered unfortunately yeah we will um, talk to Jerry and Andy that's on the way after 8 o'clock Pat Nevin with us after 9 Matt Slater is going to join us in this Liverpool story which has obviously been uh, doing the rounds all afternoon FSG have released a statement which doesn't really clear up much so we'll come to that this and hour the, when's the Villa hour? the Aston Villa hour that was yesterday. Oh. Richie Brian Kerr brought it to you. What did you and Brian Kerr do? What did you and Brian Kerr do, Richie, during the uh, other seventy minutes where you weren't able to broadcast the game? <laughs> we might have been watching the game on the stream. Oh, okay. I can either confirm or deny that. Okay. Um, but yeah, that moaning. Was obviously, a couple of times. But yeah, we were <laughs> giving out. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of moaning. There was a lot of moaning. I was I was getting a lot of insight as well from Brian too. Just you know, of stuff that you can't necessarily broadcast. But yeah, it was it was. It was there are worse ways to spend a Sunday afternoon than next to Brian Kerr when you're not behind a live microphone. Fair enough. That way. Okay. Uh, we should start the news rent. It's brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave. Magnificent Mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Uh, no surprise, really. I mean, and, and there was a cruel irony that Conor Murray in making that rare, uh, well, I guess increasingly rare, but brilliant, incisive burst uh, pulled a groin and you don't come back from that inside a November window. 
No, we don't. And that groin injury has ruled Conor Murray out of the remainder of Ireland's autumn series. The Munster scrum half was withdrawn six minutes before the break in Saturday's win over the Springboks. In better news, Robbie Henshaw missed that game with a hamstring injury, but he is back in the fold for the Fiji test. And Stuart McCloskey's arm injury is not as bad as first feared, and he too will train this week. Captain Jonathan Sexton is nursing a dead leg. Kieran Frawley, meanwhile, picked up a twisted knee in that defeat to the All Blacks 15 and he too will return to Leinster to have that treated and the IRFU confirmed today that the Ireland team will be based in tour for next year's World Cup pool stage Ireland's pool games take place in Nantes, Bordeaux and Paris that's kind of a fulcrum position for them for the tournament in tour so is this industrial tour. estate in the outskirts of some big city or oh, what do we know about this oh. I was, I was having I was having a flick around the old Google Images of Tour earlier on, uh, Joe. Lovely spot in oh. the Loire Valley. Um, nice little places in around uh, the, the the city itself. Um, you're within range of, of all those places. Nantes, I think, is probably the closest of the of the three that they'll be going to. Um, and then you got Bordeaux and Paris is up to the north. But uh, it's nice. It's uh, very quaint in parts. Uh, and I'm sure it has all the facilities that they're looking for in terms of training and all that kind of jazz. So okay. I don't think they're going to be too oh. bored but yeah it's one of these like they're it, it, it's an annoying world cup thing where they're based out of one place and then every single match they have to dart somewhere else mm. so they'll probably spend half the time elsewhere okay just looking at it here tour so yeah as you said level with uh nance so i'd say uh, between nance and paris on the West Coast. This is but great. A, a the, good the, bit in the, from the West. The French geography hour here on yeah. Off the Ball. Well, it's such a big conversation after 07. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine they went back to the exact same hotel just for the sheer... They should go to Saipan. Well, indeed. So, um, <laughs> rugby on the way after 8 o'clock. Matt Slater with us then. On, so, what, are Liverpool for sale or are they not for sale? Uh, in part, yes. Um, Fenway Sports Group say they will consider new shareholders amid reports that they have put Liverpool up for sale. The Athletic today say Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley have been retained to assist with that sale with a full sales presentation produced for interested parties. FSG bought Liverpool back in 2010 and say they'll consider fresh investment if it is in the team's best interest. They say they remain committed to the success of the club. Mm. So that statement really didn't clear very much up. Certainly didn't say they weren't for sale or looking for new shareholders but equally didn't say they very much were for sale. FSG, they bought Liverpool for 300 million. Mm. The sense is now, if you're going by the Forbes valuation, is that Liverpool worth 4.5 billion. So John Henry and FSG are going to do quite well out of this one, it's fair to say. But like, we always have to remember that this was bought to do this. It's not a secret that they're an investment group. Yeah. You know, they, they, they flip assets for a living. That's how they made their money. Mm. Uh, maybe they're possibly a little bit more sentimental about their sports teams and they st- still have the Red Sox all these years later. Yeah. But, you know, it's in their nature. Uh, and this is the perfect time to do it. The Premier League's never going to be hotter. Liverpool have been an incredible uh, brand over the last couple of years as well. Don't, don't forget that, you know. Yeah, I think one of the interesting questions is, is it that football is never going to be hotter and the market has peaked or is it that Liverpool will never be hotter? I just think akin to, I don't know, property, that football clubs in 20 years, 10 years, just have to be worth it more. It's just been the direction of travel there's for a so long. Of, there's a confluence of factors here, whereas I think Liverpool, in a necessity to be able to compete or to be still competing in 10 years' time, do need fresh investment, whether that is facilitated by a full-scale sale or whether it's taking on board people who have deeper pockets than John W. Henry and co., 
because like this is something that's obviously cropped up and Jurgen Klopp's made you know point of it that there's only three teams really in world football that can compete without limits and they're all owned by petro states and um, they are going to require investment on that scale if they're going to compete on a sustained level with Paris Saint-Germain with Manchester City with Newcastle even if they happen to take that direction upwards yeah I, I, I do like, I do wonder that as well and, because, and, it's now, and it's now or never you know yeah maybe because they, they've boxed so clever and invested so well in transfers they, they almost would be entitled to sit around and say we actually couldn't have done a better job in this like yeah. even the Coutinho sale and the way we spent that money on various players we couldn't have done better and we ended up still short last year of where we needed to be. Yeah, because you can't make mistakes either. Like, no you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. you know, you make it, if Nunes turns out to be a big mistake, that's going to cost them massively. If Jack Grealish turns out to be a massive mistake, Man City aren't in any way affected. Yeah. That's the problem. And they've, they have preferred to spend their money on infrastructure, which will obviously help with any sales. So 110 million sterling on the new stand, the main stand. They have another 80 million being spent on the Anfield Road stand. That's going to be finished next summer. So that will bring capacity Anfield to 61,000. And they spent 50 million, not on some new player, but on a new training facility in the uh, Kirby district of the city. So they moved from Melwood. This is what they've spent the big bucks on. Um, so Matt Slater's going to join us. Yeah, it was a non-denial denial, wasn't it? Like kind he was of, in, yeah. there, was, there was no denial in it, but it also didn't say they were for sale. And maybe they are looking for investment rather than outright sale. But you would have to think that if they're inviting offers, yeah. then they will certainly get some for outright takeover. Hmm. And I can't see if the offer is right them turning it down with is this there a public now. Petro State left that doesn't know. <laughs> Anyone left? I don't know. There's a China left. Texas. China, yeah, I was thinking Chinese money could be tempting. Uh I don't I, I think Liverpool fans will have see, like I think there'll be a lot of concern. Because even though they need that extra bit of money, I think what they've had with FSG has been stability good infrastructure well run well run they've got the most out of what they could get out of them and they've done it in a way that has been I don't know it hasn't left a bad taste in the mouth and I I think that Liverpool football club and their fans have a very complicated relationship and I think if it goes to that sort of Man City Newcastle model I think there could be serious trouble Mm. even though it would propel them I think it would divide fans I don't think everybody would be on the same page yeah but it, and it could propel them to, into a new stratosphere. But I think there would be serious backlash to it. Yeah, but I mean, it's hard to stop it once the wheels are in motion. I wonder as well if John Henry having to grovel after the European Super League. Yeah, people are saying that, yeah. That would linger in a billionaire's mind having to do that. So uh, Matt Slater is going to join us this hour and he's been digging into the story. He's really good on the finances of football. Uh, meanwhile, Champions League draw. Yeah, and Liverpool, funnily enough, will meet Real Madrid in the last 16 of the Champions League this season, following this morning's draw. The side's also in that course in last season's final in Paris. The first leg will be at Anfield in February. Elsewhere, Manchester City were paired with Orby Leipzig. Chelsea will be away to Borussia Dortmund in their first leg, and also Tottenham on the road in their first leg. They'll go to Italian champions AC Milan. Meanwhile, Manchester United will face Barcelona in the Europa League's knockout playoff round. That's for a place in the last 16. Uh, Liverpool, a perfect club to buy, no doubt. One of the best managers in the world. Renovated stadium, new training ground, squad with a lot of quality that needs around 300 million worth of investment in the new year to be back at the top. Very attractive prospect for a new right buyer, says Dean in Dublin 24. It's almost as if FSG ran the club with a view to selling the team. <laughs> Would you say Todd Bowley is looking this good? Oh, why didn't I wait a year? Uh, yeah. 
So rugby nearly impossible to watch at the stadium, says Conan Limerick. Game took two hours every time there was a stoppage. Loads of people went off to get beers. Takes from the atmosphere. Very annoying. Very different to GA games where fewer stoppages and crowd uh, much more engaged. I mean, I wasn't there, um, Conan. Saturday, the atmosphere seemed incredible. And I do take your point about the game taking two hours. The first half took, I think, 56, 57 minutes. But it was maybe absorbing enough fair on offer to withstand being 56 minutes a, a dull URC game has no right to go that long and can't hope to keep our attention but I did feel like the crowd were pretty much in the game the whole time on Saturday you weren't at it were you? No I wasn't at it but certainly at home it, it, it did feel that way and I think that half five on a Saturday in you know this time of year is a brilliant time it was also an, it was an okay evening it wasn't cold it wasn't yeah. raining and I think for that reason I would agree but I also think that the texture has a real point there about the general way things are done in the stadium you know what I mean you can't hear the referee you you know uh, that, that mad music that they've decided to bring in now in between stoppages of play which is I, I think a, a, a bad idea that affects atmosphere and the general people getting up and down Jerry Thorne's been talking about it for a couple for a year nearly on the show and I couldn't agree with him more I hate go like of all the sport to be at live, rugby annoys me the most because honestly, you're up and down out of your seat every five minutes. There's people just going for their four points in a thing and they're up and down and 50% of them aren't watching the matches. It's not as bad at Ireland matches as it is at you know, maybe Leinster games in, when they're in the Aviva as opposed to the RDS. But it's still pretty bad. Mm. It is. And I, I, I look, Jerry did a piece of the Irish Times during the week about how, uh, you know, basically with saying that this wasn't going to change, that, uh, you know, they, they weren't planning on, um, on, on stopping, uh, bring drink to your seats and sale, sale of it during the halves, during first half and second half. But it really has to because it's, it drives you mad at a game. Mm. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it really is too much. Like, yeah. Well, I think, uh, funny, uh, Jerry's writing about it again. Uh, tomorrow actually so curious to see what he made of the efforts with the music and uh, we might talk about it on a slight tangent tomorrow maybe that's a good topic any except we don't have a slight tangent tomorrow because we uh, no we're usurped for Ireland's best ever rugby player oh. <laughs> Driscoll's knocking a slight tangent off here well I mean unless you want to unless it's grace uh, uh, look I mean we can rearrange things if you want and you know tell Brian he's cut <laughs> well no we better not do that <laughs> Okay, so that we could talk about <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> cut Ireland's greatest rugby player and, and brilliant analyst for us to talk about the atmosphere at the game instead of getting his thoughts exactly. on the game. Exactly, yeah, 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 might be a bit indulgent. <laughs> so um, that's Champions League. What else, Rich? Uh, Shelburne completed a league and cup double yesterday. Jesse Stapleton and Pearl Slattery scored the goals in their two 0 win over Athlone in the women's FAI Cup final at Tallis Stadium. Meanwhile, Harriet Scott and Sirsha Noonan have been added to the Republic of Ireland training. A squad in Spain that's ahead of a friendly with Morocco. Now, Porky Cueve has been sold out for uh, some time for this game on Thursday night. We have the South African team. Yeah, uh, Jason Jenkins is going to face his former province on Thursday night. The Leinster lock has been named in the Springbok A team. That will play a Porky Cueve. Joining him in the pack is another former Munster player in Thomas Dutoy. And Mazandale Stick was in, is in charge, pardon me, of Thursday's game for the box and was asked about Jenkins' form for Leinster this season that has earned him an international recall. The last time I've worked with him, it was in 2018, you know, where he made his debut for the Springboks, you know, and then you have seen the growth in his game already. How he he also conducts himself around, like Johan mentioned, there's a lot of youngsters, but he's already taking that leadership role in our team. 
to look at the guys that we've got. That's one thing that I must be, I must be honest and say, as a coach, I'm privileged to have the, those experienced guys in our squad. You know, you saw in the total of 14 Springboks in that team, the good balance of you having Herschel, who's been there for us with the Springboks, uh, Goose at 10, and then uh, and then Cornell. You know, coming back. You know, that will also uh, allow those youngsters. You know, to 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 have their their freedom. You know, because of these are the guys that will probably manage the game and drive us, and that will also free those uh, uh, expected players on the outside. You know, we know one thing for sure: the game is going to be tough and physical. So, but once again, and also the fact that Jason knows the conditions very well and he knows Monster very well, I think uh, he's going to be massive in our system. You know, uh, and I'm also looking forward to the partnership he's got with Rwanda okay, next to him. Our Munster named their team on the Wednesday. Razi Erasmus won't be at Porky Cueve. It's been confirmed he's going to be preparing for France, which is fair enough. Sounds like more his job, but yeah. there's something sentimental about that. That's a pity, but... Yeah, I think the sense was almost he was going for a kind of a, a victory lap almost, or a, you know, a, a thank you or whatever, yeah, but yeah. obviously France... What do you think of Razi putting out the video again? We Terrible. haven't talked about that yet. Oh, like, shocking. It's really poor, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I think there's something fair. I don't. Th- I wonder. Does he realise how nefarious it is to go and put a, a, a like of referee mistakes that I think are massively disputed, by the way? But he's declaring the mistakes and like setting the wolves mm. on a guy. Like, do you know what I mean? It doesn't happen to coaches or players. Like, I'm, I give out about referees as much as anybody. I'm not saying that, but this is like a coach of one of the teams putting out an edited video. Yeah, it's crazy. It's really poor, and these weren't shocking mistakes. They were, uh, I would say, the routine mistakes that will be made over the course of an 80-minute game that's that intense. South Africa can get themselves lucky. They kept 15 men on the pitch. Colby probably yep. should have been red-carded. The, aspe- the aspect is, is that Erasmus has gone public here. So last summer, he, it wasn't his fault. He didn't want it to go public. But he saw the effect that it had on the referees. And they talked about their mental health and the pressure they were under. And you would think, well, that would have been noted. But here we are what, just over 12 months later, mm. and he's taking the time, taking, like, you've got better things to be doing, yeah. taking the time to, one, uh, set the mob, which is what Twitter is in these circumstances, set the mob on that referee, and two, and it's, you know, it's, it's fairly transparent, you are putting pressure on every referee for all future South African games, that yeah. I'm liable which is what, to do this. The thing is, on top of it as well, add, adding to the kind of, well, it's unnecessary. It's like, I was listening to Dion Davids. He was doing the press conference today ahead of the France game, uh, part of the Springbok coaching staff. And he was asked about the refereeing for Saturday's game. And they basically said that in line with all games, that they do consult with the officials after the match just to have a sense of what we did right, what we did wrong, what we need to work on from here on in. So if they're already consulting privately with match officials, then this just shows how completely unnecessary and unwarranted and ugly it is to, like you say, set the mob on a match official when you've already spoken to him. I'm pretty sure you've already spoken to him privately about the matter. To go public then afterwards and then sick the hounds on him mm. is it's really poor. disgusting and, and something that World Rugby needs. Like it's it's not as if he hasn't he should have learned from the last time because they got yeah. banned up until the the Japan test recently for them. Yeah. He should have more cop on at this stage than to go out live with that stuff. And there's no problem with talking to the referee privately or talking to World Rugby privately. I mean, the video, which again, he says he had no part in leaking, that was just for World Rugby. And that's customary. Lots Mm. of the coaching tickets would do that. There was actually nothing that odd about his video. I mean, it was talked about as this deranged 
kind of <laughs> 60 minutes but actually that, I would say he's probably done that after uh, yeah. more South African games than not it's the public nature of it that was the problem and so to go public here in your first match back yeah. in the coaching Club box suspension yeah I thought that the, I, I'll convince that wasn't forward by the way I do think Dad Sheehan purposely put his foot in. Now, he was being neck-rolled at the time, so it's a penalty both ways, I suppose, if you yeah. want to look at it that way. Uh, I think the referee missed something there one way or another. But I'm pretty convinced that pass wasn't forward. Yeah. Beadle puts his arm out for it. He's in line with where the ball's going. It was a, The pass wasn't meant for him, so therefore it wasn't going forward. Like, Am I wrong? I don't know. It doesn't matter. It I'm doesn't just, matter. It's a, no, no, yeah. I'm moving on from the Erasmus thing. I mean, that's a, like, I, mean it's, I completely agree. I'm just saying as a, as a point of right. like, that was an obvious miss. South Africans were going mad about this, like they was calling it American football and everything like that when you were, when you were on Twitter during the game. Yeah. Uh, I just think that if you look at it, I don't think it was. Look, I could be wrong. I could be definitely looking at it through mm. biased eyes. Uh, I would say in doing this job and even looking at uh, our social channels and you see the correspondence from uh, South African fans, and I think that's like one or two percent of South African fans. They are an aggressive fan base. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Razi Erasmus is unaware of that. And no, I agree with you. He's harnessing yeah, that. That's, that's kind of why I asked the really question in the first place, it. because yeah. I... I did feel that there was an element to setting the wolves oh, big time. on, and that's an inexperienced referee. Yeah, exactly. And from a from a, a you know, as well, I don't think it should be um, Georgian. I don't, yeah, I don't think it should be overlooked that it was a Georgian referee either. In that, like, that's important for the game yeah. to grow, in, not just in playing but in the officials as well. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rich, we probably just before we finish, we should pay tribute to Paul McNaughton. Yeah, the IRFU leading the tributes today to the former Ireland international and team manager, Paul McNaughton, who's died at the age of 69. A member of the Leinster Hall of Fame since 2018. He also played senior Gaelic football for his native county, Wicklow, as well as soccer with both Shelburne and Bray Wanderers. Yeah, no, uh, Andy Dunn uh, knew Paul and Jerry Thornley wrote about him as well. So we'll, we'll touch on this on rugby after eight o'clock, but an extraordinary um, sporting career, both as a player and then administrator. I mean, he was on the EPCR board uh, director, chairman, he was part of Declan Kidney's um, setup. He was Irish team manager, part, big part of the infrastructure behind the scenes at Leinster. And then one of the lines which jumped out to me is that, as Richie said, he played rugby for Leinster in Ireland, played soccer for Shelburne Bray Wanderers, he played for the Wicklow senior footballers. So he played all three sports at Lansdowne Road, at Dalymount Park, and wow. at Crow Park in the same season, in the same month. <laughs> That's Jesus, talent. that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Jason so, Sherlock, eat your heart out. I know. So uh, very sad passing, I'm sure, for all concerned. And condolences. We will uh, wrap things up, fellas. Richie, thank you very much. 